Good morning. How are we? Are we still morning? I don't even know at this point. Yes, we are. We are. Good morning. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this series. I think I know I have gotten a lot out of it, and I hope you have too. We've been every week unpacking new things about the Holy Spirit, and um, I know for, for many of us, it's somewhat new to us. So if you are new with us this week, or if you um, have missed any of the last four messages, I would encourage you, go back and check it out, because there's so much information in each of those. You're not going to want to miss what we talked about. Just quick review, what we did learn, or some of what we learned, is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a force. He's not just the wind. He's not a dove. He's not, um, you know, just our conscience even. He is the third person in the Trinity, which means that he's God, and it means that he's good. And the Holy Spirit offers us um, a, a, a and empowers us um, with, with skills and with gifts and helps us to live out our faith. We learned that the Holy Spirit resides in all believers and that ultimately the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us to faith. That without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't even know that we needed Jesus. We learned that we can resist him, we can quench him, we can grieve him, but we can also welcome him and receive him. We learned that he can empower us, he can move in us, he can speak to us, and he can help us live our lives. The Bible describes him as and calls him the comforter, the intercessor, the advocate, the helper, the counselor. Jesus said that it was better for him to go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. And we learned that ultimately he can live inside of us and equip us with gifts that help us and to encourage the body of Christ and to encourage each other and grow in our faith. And one of the things that I feel like I have really enjoyed in this series is just knowing that God wants to be around us. Like it's such a picture, this topic of the Holy Spirit, of how God takes care of us and he loves us. He didn't leave us here alone to kind of do this thing on our own, but that he came and not only did he come and die for our sins, but then he, he left us with the Spirit of God to help us along the way. So, you know, we go through all of these things and we've talked about all these different topics. So you may be thinking, okay, well, what else? What else is there? Well, the concept that I want to talk about today is one that is found in the New Testament, and it's a phrase that we see several times, and it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at what exactly that means. Now, I know, based on my own journey of faith, that many of us, you know, if you're like me, you came from a tradition where we didn't even talk about the Holy Spirit at all. And so the phrasing, baptism in the Holy Spirit, might be making you feel a little unsettled. Well, trust me, it's not spooky. It's not scary. It's good because the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is good. And this is all scriptural. And I'm going to show you where it, it's written and, and how it's described. And hopefully by the end of this, if this is something that's making you already be like, oh, what are we going to talk about today? What's going to happen? Um, that by the end, you'll be like, oh, got it. Got it. I understand. And I'm, I'm ready for what God has. So 
First, we're going to look at what John John the Baptist said in Luke 3.16. Now, this is when he was getting ready to baptize Jesus. And we've talked about some of these scriptures that I'm going to mention again. We've talked about them already in the series. But what I want to do is look and see how that applies to what we're, we're talking about today. So John the Baptist says this. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then later, Jesus in the book of Acts is quoted as saying this, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what exactly is this concept of being baptized in the Spirit? It's different than the believer's baptism. So it, when you think about people being baptized at church and they, you know, at our church, they come down to the front and we have big cisterns of water or what, I don't know what those are called, but like tubs of water and people come and they are put down into the water and brought back up. That's called a believer's baptism. And that is, um, an opportunity for them to kind of proclaim to the world that I am in, I am following Jesus. And it's, it's representative of a spiritual rebirth where, where they're, they're being born again. It's just the kind of a visual, um, picture of that. It's also a picture of their sins being washed away. But the baptism in the spirit is different. In the most basic and easy definition that I could find, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a term used to describe a movement of the Holy Spirit upon and or within a believer, usually sometime after the person has placed their faith in Jesus. Now, this is abstract, like an abstract abstract topic, but it has huge implications on our faith. And so we want to look at this and see what this means for us. Now, the, clearly, the Bible says this phrase, baptism in the Spirit, I think it's like seven different times um, in the New Testament. But, so it's clearly used, but it's not necessarily clearly explained. And so there are different beliefs in different Christian traditions about what this looks like and what this means. Some traditions believe because all believers have the Holy Spirit. Some traditions believe that when you make that moment, when you make that decision to follow Christ, that that is the moment that you are baptized in the spirit. And there really isn't anything else that happens later. That's one kind of kind of the extreme position. Then there's another position on the other side of the spectrum that says that if you don't experience a baptism in the Holy Spirit in kind of an overwhelming, um, very demonstrative way, and if it doesn't result in certain spiritual gifts, then there's something wrong with your faith. We don't really land either one of those spots. We land kind of in the middle, or at least I do, and, and many theologians Um, land somewhere different. It is very clear in scripture that every believer has the Holy Spirit residing in them. There's no question about that. In fact, I'll read you one scripture that points to that. First, oh, so sorry. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. But what we also see in scripture is that there are many believers who sometime after this moment of faith have a special experience with the spirit where the spirit comes on them and 
baptizes them, empowers them. If you think back on, I think it was two weeks ago, when Chris talked about the day of Pentecost, he talked about how the disciples were baptized in the Spirit. And he used this, um, it was in the scriptures where we talked already about Acts 5, or 1-5, where John said, Jesus said, sorry, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized within the, with the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit further in the conversation that he's having with, with the disciples, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you remember, the Spirit did come in a very powerful way among the disciples and the people that were meeting in that room. It was obvious that the disciples already had a relationship with Jesus. They already believed. And so there was this second wave of something happening in them. There was, there was this moment where the Spirit fell on them. And then we see that this happens in the book of Acts among Samaritans, which were people who weren't Jewish. Well, they were kind of Jewish, kind of not. Then we see it happen um, among some Gentiles, and Gentiles means people who weren't Jewish at all. So we see that happen a couple times. And then later on in Acts, we see people have these experiences with the Spirit, but they call it being filled with the Spirit. And so when, um, I'll give you a couple examples. When Peter, at one point, he heals this crippled man. And the religious leaders are not happy about that. They arrest him. I mean, can you imagine being arrested for healing a crippled man? But anyway, so they arrest him and they question him kind of before the court hearings or whatever. And they, where did you get this power? Where did you, where were you able to do this? And it says in Acts 4, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And then it goes on and he boldly explained where he got his power and he explained his faith in Christ. It was a pretty impressive moment. They end up letting him go. And then later on in the evening, he's in a prayer meeting and it says in Acts 4, 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And then another time in the book of Acts, Paul goes into a town, he's with his buddy Barnabas, and they're trying to explain the gospel to people, and a sorcerer comes up, and the sorcerer is trying to interrupt them, and it's this just issue, and so Paul, it says in Acts 31, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye, and then he goes off on the sorcerer. It's really interesting. It's, it's like a pretty powerful story. It's Acts 13. Then... Later, in some of Paul's writings, to the, when he wrote to the church in Ephesus, he tells them to be filled in the Spirit. It says in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Good piece of information. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see in Scripture that this happens to people already believers, but that they are either once again filled with the Spirit once and empowered or filled multiple times and empowered at different times. And what we see is that this filling empowers them to do more ministry or to live a more godly life. Um, and then because Christianity has existed for over 2,000 years, we also have church history that shows us over and over and over again people in the Christian faith who have this experience, who can say, and, and with all honesty say, I have experienced something profound in the Spirit. And, and it makes sense that this would happen because Chris talked about this scripture a couple weeks ago too, but in Acts 2, 
it says that Peter said this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the promise in the Old Testament that the Spirit would come and it would be poured out on all believers. And he says this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for the promise, meaning the pouring out of the Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this filling of the Spirit, this baptism in the Spirit was not just for then, it is also for now. It is for those who are far off. It is for the all who will be called. But for many of us, we function as if this gift is not available to us. It, you know, it's very common in kind of our Western evangelical culture to kind of fall into the idea that faith is just a good set of beliefs and it is us working in our own strength to behave rightly, to have the right attitude, to think rightly. And all of those things are true. All of those things matter. Our faith does require us to have a certain set of beliefs. It does require us to work hard at our salvation. There's scripture that talks about all that. But oftentimes we are doing it like like the little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can, in all of our own strength, instead of relying on the power of the Spirit that is available to us. Yesterday, (laughs) this is kind of funny, so my husband and I, we um, got a date night on Friday night. My mom watched the kids, and so on Saturday morning, we were driving down to pick them up, and we live up on a hill. Well, we got to the bottom of the hill, and there was a garage sale, and we saw a bike for sale, and we thought, oh, that's perfect for one of our daughters, so we stopped, We decided to buy the bike. Well, if you don't know us, we have four kids, three of which are still in um, car seats. So you can't really put a bike, we can't fold down all the, we have car seats, it's just. So my husband said, I'll just ride the bike up the hill and you can follow me. And then when we get to the top, we'll go pick up the kids. So (laughs) it was a sight. I mean, first of all, the bike was too small for him. So his knees are like, you know, kicking up. I'm behind him laughing hysterically as I'm driving behind him up the hill at five miles an hour. And his knees are going like this, you know, just fast, 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 trying to get up the hill. But he's moving at this like incrementally slow pace. (laughs) So then I start driving next to him and I'm like, you can do it. You can do it. (laughs) As we go up the hill. Now, mind you, I didn't volunteer to ride the bike. He volunteered to ride the bike. So, but that's such a picture of how we often try to function in our faith, that we are working so hard, extra hard, to get up whatever faith hill we have when we haven't accessed a power that is there for us. Now, like I said, there are conflicting opinions about when this happens, how it happens, what it looks like, how many times it can happen. Um, But what is obvious in Scripture is that The Holy Spirit resides in every believer and that there are moments and can be moments in your life where the the, the Spirit comes in a special way on you to fill you, to help you. You know, there was an illustration that is used in Alpha. If you've ever taken the Alpha course, you will know that I got this from Alpha. But actually, then I read Tozer a little bit later and he had the same analogy or illustration. And it's perfect. Um, It's so helpful. So if you think in your mind of a sponge, and, you know, you take the sponge out of the package and it's, it's, you know, a sponge. You stick it in water. And when you stick it in water, the water is around it. 
on top of it and in it. And then when you pull that sponge out, the water pours out of the sponge. And we are to be like that. That is a picture of the baptism in the spirit. Baptism, that word literally means plunge, immerse, drench, um, you know, submerge. And so what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on people in this way is that you are surrounded. You are, the spirit is around you, over top of you, in you, and then pouring out of you. And what happens to us, honestly, at least it happens to me, is I feel more like a dry old sponge. You know, like the sponge that you used a couple times and then you stick it under the sink and you bring it back out and it's hard and crusty and it's not pliable at all. And then you stick it under the water and for a little bit, the water doesn't even really penetrate it. You know what I mean? It just kind of bubbles up on the outside. But then finally, the water gets in and it softens that sponge and it makes that sponge pliable and usable. And then as you pull that out of the water, the same thing, that water pours out of you. That's how we are to be with the spirit, that the spirit is to be around us, in us, over us, and pouring out of us. And it seems that in some cases, people have this experience at the moment they come to faith. I mean, looking back now, even though I I was totally nervous about the Holy Spirit, didn't understand the Holy Spirit, when I look back at my faith journey now, I know that the day that I came to Christ was a day where the Spirit filled me. I mean, there was a complete difference in the way I looked at life. There was a complete difference in the way I understood his love and I understood the Bible. It was completely different. It was like in in the blink of an eye, everything changed. But for some people, that's not the case. Some people kind of have this logical, uneventful moment where they decide, I'm going to follow Jesus. Of course, there's also people who really don't even have a moment, but they look back in their life and they're like, yeah, somewhere along the line, I decided to believe. And for those people, that infilling of the Spirit may come later. Um, Mike Camden, actually, that's kind of his experience. The, the guy who was up here doing the announcements beforehand, he said that he had an experience with the Spirit two years after he came to Christ, that he was leading an alpha group. Now, alpha, if you don't know, is is this um, course that we offer here that helps people with questions about their faith. And so he was leading one of those groups. So it was new believers or people that had questions or new people to the church. And he was finding that he was really frustrated in in the process of him leading. Like he felt like he just wasn't doing a good job. He wasn't connecting with them. He wasn't helping them. And so he ended up going to get prayer about it with somebody on the prayer team. And I had him email me exactly what happened because I wanted it to be in his words. But this is what he said happened when he got prayer. He said, I immediately felt something as Chuck prayed, a hot tingling sensation going through my body. I also remember becoming a little lightheaded, but not in a bad concerning way. I also felt an immediate sense of peace or relief in that all of a sudden I knew at a gut level that it wasn't my responsibility to bring the people in my group to know Jesus or to have a closer connection with God, but it was my job to truly listen to them, care for them, pray for them, and just point them to God. Following that, various gifts of the Spirit started to manifest themselves in my life, gifts that helped me connect to God and to others. Before that, I struggled to understand the Bible when I read it. Since then, God has given me a much better understanding of what I'm reading and how it applied, how to apply it to my life and how to share it with others. Now, does everybody have a physical response like Mike did? No. But what we do see that's common among people who have this experience with the Spirit is that things afterwards are different. 
You know, maybe they just have the ability to share their faith with other people easier, or, or maybe they're able to live a life that's more obedient to Christ than they ever did before. Maybe, you know, the sins that they struggled with or the addictions that they battled didn't seem to have that same power over them after the fact. Maybe it was just a deeper devotion to God or a deeper understanding of his love or understanding of the Bible. I know a woman who, after an experience with the Spirit, was able to quit smoking, no withdrawal symptoms, just cold turkey, completely fine. Jackie Pullinger, who's a missionary in China, she spent years in what they called the walled city where she worked with heroin addicts. And over and over and over again, she saw the Holy Spirit come and fill people and then free them from addiction. Many of you are probably familiar with the recovery ministry called Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge was birthed out of this kind of thing happening, where people were praying for addicts to be free from their addiction, and the Holy Spirit would come on them and fill them, and then they would be free of their addiction. Now, do we see that happen all the time? No, but we do see it happen. Account after account after account of life changed because the power of the Holy Spirit set people free. We are not just to walk with the Spirit. We are to walk empowered by the Spirit. Craig Keener is a guy who wrote a book called Three Crucial Questions About the Holy Spirit. And he used this illustration. He said, think about your, it's, it's nighttime and you're walking to a town you've never been to before. And in the town, you see all these houses and they're dark. There's no power. There's no lights. There's no TVs flickering in the windows. And you see people outside washing their, their clothes by hand, you know, beating them up against a rock. And you see people walking around with torches so they can see or cooking food over an open fire. And then you walk into somebody's house in this town. And you see a washing machine and a TV and lamps and dishwasher and stove. And you find out that they actually have an infinite power source available to them. But nobody told the members of the town that the appliances work when they plug them into the wall. And isn't that so much can be a picture of how we are? that we, we don't realize there's this, this power source offered to us, available to us, freely. And we don't take the time or, or realize that we can access it. You know, it's just like Chris has been saying, God on the inside is so much better than God on the outside. All this stuff that we're trying to do on our own, little engine that could, and God offers us a power source to help us. Now, my goal today is to encourage you to seek God to fill you with his spirit. That if you've never asked him to fill you, to baptize you in the spirit, that you would be okay with that. And not only okay with that, that you would want to do that. You know, that, that, that um, verse in Ephesians that I already referred to where Paul was writing to the church and he said, I'll read it again, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That phrase, be filled, in the original language is written in the present continuous tense. What it could be translated as is go on being filled. Like continue to be filled which to me and to many infers that we need to go on being filled. Like we leak, 
And I don't know about you, but I leak. I mean, just two weeks ago, so Chris was up here. He was talking about Pentecost. At the end of the service, he, he encouraged everybody to put out their hands and, and, and say to, you know, the, to God, the Holy Spirit, you know, I receive you, come. And so I'm standing in the back with my husband, and I'm praying that prayer. And not 48 hours later, I need to pray it again. We, okay, so that was Sunday. On Monday, we had swim lessons in the morning, and then we had a family of thing that we had to do, and we had errands we had to run, and then we had football camp in the evening. At the end of football camp, my husband comes, he picks up the kids so they can get showers ahead of time, and I help to clean up at the, at the football camp. So I go home, and I'm happy, you know, listening to worship music on the way home, enjoying the air conditioning, get out of the car open up the, the, the door to the house, and my husband is running past me going up the steps. And as he's running, he says, we found another tick. Sam's in the shower for the second time, and the, and the shower is leaking more than we thought. So then I go on to find, you know, I, as I investigate a little bit more, I find out that, yes, we have found the fifth tick on a kid in three days. We, and, and the shower is leaking more than we would we already knew there was a leak, but it was considerable leak happening. And my son, who took a shower in that bathroom, picked up the towel off the floor thinking, oh, I'll just use this towel, not realizing it that it was the towel that my husband has shaved his head in earlier in the day. So when he picked up the towel, the hair went all over him and all over the wet floor that had the leaking shower in it. So my husband's cleaning all that up, frustrated, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, then I'll go downstairs. I'll brush all the girl's hair, get that taken care of, and give, give, give them bedtime snacks. So I ask them what they want. Of course, they want cereal. They love honey bunches with oats. So I'm giving them cereal. I hand my one daughter her bowl, and she drops the bowl on the floor, and the milk goes everywhere. I mean, stove, dishwasher, cabinets, everywhere. You, I leaked that night, okay? I leaked. Within 48 hours, I needed more of the Holy Spirit again. We leak. Life comes at us like a mile a minute, you know? And, and sometimes, Myron talked about this in the second week, that sometimes there is a block between us and the Holy Spirit because there's sin in our lives. And there's things that we need to address and deal with. And that is building up walls between us and the Father. And that will block the interaction we have with the Spirit. But sometimes, life is just coming at us. And we're just, it's full of distractions and it's full of frustrations and we're just pouring out and pouring out and we leak. And we haven't taken the time to come back and say, God, fill me again. I need your spirit again. But the wonderful promise of scripture is that it says when we ask, he will fill us. In Luke 11, this is Jesus talking and he's talking about the spirit and he says this, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then in John 7, this is beautiful. I love this. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Now, I love that last line because that's not my commentary. That's not any theologian's commentary saying, oh, the rivers of living water are the spirit. No, no, that's John, the disciple, the one who was closest to Jesus saying, this is what he meant. The rivers of living water, the spirit are for all who believe. So we're to ask. 
We're to seek. We're to knock. And what is so beautiful about these scriptures is that God is showing us he wants us to want more of him. It's not like we have to go to him and beg and he's like begrudgingly like, okay, no. And it's also not like he's like holding out and like, yeah, let me see, ask. No, what he's saying is I'm not going to force this on you, but ask me because I want to give it to you. Ask me because I have more blessing for you. Now, a lot of, the, you know, a lot of, of what happens in church world is that we say things like, you don't, need to, you don't need to worry about an experience. You don't need to have to have feelings to have faith. And, and, and it's, it's believe and obey, and that's enough. And to some extent, there's truth in that. We do have to obey, and we do have to believe. And there will be times when we have absolutely no feelings to go along with that. And that's when faith is really strong faith. And there are times when we're going to have to do the hard work where he's not going to free us from an addiction or free us from a sin in an instant. And there's times where we have to do the hard work of walking with Jesus through that process. And he's allowing us to live that way because he wants to draw us closer to him and do something in us in that process. So there are times when you're going to come to church and you're going to be like, I didn't feel a thing. And that sermon, well, it was kind of ho-hum. Not this week, I hope. But it happens. And so that's, that's fine. That, that happens. I mean, it happens when, you know, if you have a good friend, like sometimes you're like, want to hang out with them and sometimes you don't. And not that God doesn't want to hang out with us, but our feelings are fickle. This is true. However, God gave us our feelings to experience life, but also to experience him. Our faith is meant to be a, an experiential faith, not just a logical mindset, not just a set of beliefs. I mean, think about someone you know who you're close to, who you enjoy spending time with. When you're with them, you feel something. When you hug them or when you laugh with them or when you connect on a memory or a thought, it invokes feeling in you. You know, think about a, a little girl with her dad. You know, she may know that her dad loves her, but when her dad picks her up and hugs her and says, I love you, she feels it. God has given us those feelings because he wants us to not only experience this life, but to experience him. Now, there are a few cautions that I want to bring up here that I think are very important in this whole topic of being filled with the Spirit. The first one is this. We do not seek God for the experience. We seek God because we love him and we want to know him and be known by him. You know, I don't hang out with my husband just because I get warm, warm, fuzzy feelings when I hang out with him. I mean, that's a nice, you know, side bonus. But I hang out with him because I love him, because I want to know him and I want him to know me. And the same is true with the Spirit. We, you know, the Spirit, there's so many benefits. When we, when we feel the Spirit, you know, and he empowers us and he encourages us and he, he confirms our faith in us and he does all these wonderful things. But there is a higher purpose to the Spirit in us. Remember, when Jesus was talking to the disciples about the Spirit, he then said, you will receive power. 
But if you go on, you'll see what the result is of that power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And remember the sponge illustration. It's dunked into the water and it comes out and the spirit or the, well, the water in the illustration is pouring out because the spirit is to pour out of us around to others. It's not just for us. Rich Nathan, the the pastor at the Vineyard Church in Columbus, he says it this way, the experience of the Holy Spirit is not just what we should have, that we should have some nice warm feeling in our hearts and feel good. The experience of the Spirit is in order that we should go out and make a difference to our world to see the transformation of our society. We don't selfishly seek the experience. We selfishly seek God and him glorified. Then the second caution that I would say is for the non-feelers in the room. Some of you are like, I don't want, this is all emotionalism. I don't want any of this. I am not someone, I am fine with faith being about right belief and right behavior. I can do that. That doesn't require me to have to have a feeling. And I get it. I get it. But don't shut this idea out. God knows you. He knows how you're wired. He knows how he made you. And he knows what you need more than you know what you need. And he knows what experience will minister to you best. You got to trust him in this. Not everybody's experience is going to be the same. We're all different. And so we're going to have different responses. We're going to have different experiences with the Holy Spirit. But trust God that he knows how you will best experience him. There are some faith traditions that say that the infilling will look a certain way. And that maybe, you know, it results in speaking in tongues or maybe falling over in the power of the Spirit. And I've known people who've had that experience, and that's wonderful for them. I mean, it's a faith builder for them. They can look back on that moment and be like, I know God exists because I, that happened to me. That's wonderful. But I've also known people who have, who have simply just experienced God's love in a powerful way or his peace in a powerful way or, or just an incredible um, just thick presence that they can't even really describe. For some people, it's been like just a really good cleansing cry. Now, those of you who are non-feelers are like, what is a good cleansing cry? But those of you who are feelers know exactly what I'm talking about. God knows how to touch each one of us, and it's not going to necessarily look the same. We can't compare ourselves and what we experience to others because ultimately, if we start to compare what our experience is like compared to somebody else's, if we have an, you know, like a profound demonstrative experience, then we can get prideful over that. And if we don't have an experience that's whatever we think that experience is, then we we can feel shame about that. I had a a college friend who, um, he had been taught all of his life that in order to be saved, he had to speak in tongues, that in order to have the spirit residing in him, he had to do that. And he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't make himself do it. We can't force God to do what we think he wants to do. We can't force him to fill us at any moment. We can't force him to do it a certain way. He's going to do what he wants to do. And my friend lived years thinking that he wasn't wanted by God and that he was like a second-class Christian and that all these other people had all this fabulous experience and he, he just was left out. And I want if you find yourself in that boat, I want you to know that God loves you. You are not a second-class Christian. There is no such thing. Jesus sent his son 
to die for you. He loves you so much that he sent a son. He has good things with, for you. He is not withholding from you. Luke 11, it's that same section where he's talking about asking and seeking and knocking. He says this, after, right after that, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There is no question, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. And there is no question that he loves you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only Son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And if he has given you his son, how much more will he give you his spirit? I read something this week that I think summed it up perfectly. It said, those who have not experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, meaning the sudden and powerful experience, are not second-class citizens by any means. They are the ones in the gentle mist who experience the Lord over a long period of time and get just as blessed as those who suddenly step into the torrent of the Spirit's presence. If you have had a powerful experience with God, praise him. If you have not, do not assume that he is withholding from you. He is not. He has a different plan for you and for what it's going to look like. And maybe next week you will be. Romans 8 says this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He is at work in you, whether you feel it or not. Put your hope in him. Ask him for more. The thing about God is there's always more. He's infinitely more. Romans 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God loves you so much. Now, we can't control and we can't force what God does in us and through us, but we can make ourselves as receptive as possible to his Spirit. We have control over at least the condition of our own lives and hearts. The first thing that you'll want to be, do, I mean, if you want more of the Spirit, there's a couple things that you want to make sure you have done. The first one is to offer yourself to Him. If you have never said, God, I'm in, I'm following you, I give you my life, that's got to happen first because that's the moment where you have made that commitment to follow Him. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you've not done that, it's very simple. You can do that today. You can just say, God, you're, you can have all of me. I'm yours. 
And then after that, once you've done that, then you want to keep a short account with God. Uh, you know, like if you know at any given moment, I just sinned or, or this is something in my life that is sin. As soon as you are aware of it, you need to repent and turn from it. That repent literally means to turn away from it, ask for forgiveness and walk in the other direction. Because sin is going to block you from whatever God has from you. There's just something that happens when you, you know, I mean, think about that with any relationship you have with anybody. If you're hurting them or you're doing something you know they don't want you to do, that hurts your relationship with them. And then you just keep seeking and you keep asking and you keep knocking and you allow there to be space in your life for you to have time with God. A friend of mine this past week He's been a Christian for years. I mean, he's 40 and he, uh, you know, came to Christ as a teenager, but he had never been baptized as a believer. He was baptized as a, as a baby, but never as a believer. Well, this past week, he decided at a prayer meeting in his town that he was going to get baptized. And he is, you know, he's one of those like manly men, you know, veteran, um, oil and gas guy, all muscle. And his wife sent this text to her family. She said this, he was baptized tonight, full body, boots and all. I joined him behind the baptismal and prayed loud and proud. A woman in the Baptist church shook the rafters. The spirit was so heavy I could hardly stand. I told the pastor it was the most Pentecostal Baptist moment I've ever had. Sounds like my friend was baptized in water and in the spirit this week. But his coming forward and being baptized is such a picture for us of the attitude that we should have. God, here I am, boots and all. I'm yours. That's the attitude you have. So I could talk about this for hours, but I figure why don't we just ask him? Why don't we pray and ask the Spirit to come and fill us? So go ahead, and I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. And just start talking to God. You know, whatever you may be feeling, maybe some of you are like, I'm still not convinced, God. Tell him. Maybe some of you want to say for the first time, I'm in, I want to follow you, I give you my life. And if that's you, tell him that right now. And some of you need to confess some sin. And you need to tell him sorry. And you need to turn away from it. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that your spirit will come. Lord, I pray that where there are things blocking us from you, Father, that you would reveal those things to us. Holy Spirit, speak. Father, I pray that you would come. Lord, that as we turn our hearts to you, as we quiet ourselves before you, Lord, have your way. Here we are, Lord. Father, I pray that you would take away any 
any fear, any anxiety, any nervousness. I pray your peace, Father. I, feel, I pray your presence, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that you would fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.